DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Peter Kraft, who is a professor of philosophy at Boston College and one of the most widely read Christian authors of our time. His many best-selling books include Back to Virtue, Because God is Real, You Can Understand the Bible, Angels and Demons, Heaven, the Heart's Deepest Longing, Fundamentals of the Faith, and the Summa of the Summa. With Dr. Peter Kraft, we go inside the pages of Jacob's Ladder, Ten Steps to Truth, published by Ignatius Press. There are ten important questions everyone should ask, and the answers to those questions which lead to ultimate truth are a matter of reason, not of faith. Popular philosopher and writer Peter Crave tackles each of these questions in a logical step-by-step way, like climbing the rungs of a ladder. Because questions are best answered by dialogue, Dr. Crave answers those fundamental questions in an imaginary conversation between two very different people who meet at the beach. Crave's characters begin at the beginning, at the bottom of the ladder, which is the passion for truth. When it comes to the most important questions a person can ask, no mere interest in philosophical dabbling will do. The passion for truth does not stop there, however but carries the reader from one page to the next in this thought-provoking adventure of the mind. We now begin our conversation with Dr. Peter Kraft. Dr. Kraft, thank you so much for joining me. You're very welcome. Glad to be here. Jacob's Ladder, 10 Steps to Truth, an important understanding for us today is to understand what truth is, but it it takes a bit to get there, doesn't it? It does. It's not a one-step deal like instant fast food. Why do you suppose it has become such a struggle for us to be able to articulate basic truth? My book is 10 very concrete steps that lead from the first, the passionate search for truth, gradually more concretely to Christ and then to the church. Mm. So uh, the belief that truth exists uh, is one of the steps on the ladder, and modern relativism that says truth is just subjective, it's my truth versus your truth, is one way of getting off the ladder. And if you believe that, you're not going to go any any further, you're just in your dreams. Mm. So that is an important step, but it's not the only one. I love the way the book is laid out. It's telling the story of Libby and her encounter with someone who helps to answer some of her most pressing questions. Yeah, she's an honest seeker, and uh, we have it on high authority that all who seek eventually find. So she's a model for the, uh, for the agnostic, for the unbeliever whose mind is open. What about the mother character? How did you uh, choose that particular persona? Both characters are from my novel, An Ocean Full of Angels, Mm -hmm. and no novelist really understands where his characters come from. They just come from aspects of his own psyche, I guess, and his imagination. She's a kind of symbol of Mother Church. That's why she's called Mother. Mm -hmm. So she's large and experienced and older. 
as they meet, uh, the, the very first step on that ladder is to discuss what the understanding of passion, that you have to have that first. Yeah, the heart rules everything. Mm-hmm. The heart is the captain, even though the head might be the navigator. So if the heart tells the head it's not worth seeking, uh, forget it, uh, nothing's going to happen. So there has to be first a, a passion for truth. You want, you need to want light rather than darkness. What mother does in this particular step in, in helping to guide Libby up the up those steps is really isn't she calling her to integrity? Yes, yes, to honesty. Uh, and if you don't have that, nothing follows. The world's best surgeon can't perform the simplest operation if the lights go out in the hospital room. Would you say, Dr. Crave, that that's part of our problem today is that we've lost integrity in so many things, even the definition of terms. You know, we, we're seeing that now with the, the marriage debate. This is true. Confucius, who was the most practical and successful social reformer in history, uh, had something like 600 different proposals for uh, reforming society. And someone asked him once, which is the most important? And he said, calling things by their correct names. That's something that we see Libby go through as we begin this step up the ladder, is that it, it things have to be what they appear to be. Well, yes, but things can be much more than they appear to be. Mm-hmm. Every person is much more than than flesh and bones. And at the top of the ladder, the Eucharist is far more than what it appears to be. Mm, That's true. And I think that's the beauty of the second step when you're discussing truth. Because there's a line in the book, I think I'm going to, I want to remember it and say it often, is that we're like the ocean that that has a surface. And all we see is the surface. We are, we're aware that there is a depth and a darkness to it that takes it even into a greater understanding. I think deep down we all know that, that the world that we see is very real, but it's only the surface of something much, much deeper. Hamlet says to Horatio, who doesn't believe in ghosts, even though he's seen Hamlet's father's ghost, Horatio, there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamed of in your philosophy. Would you find, Dr. Crave, that today that type of depth Unfortunately, because maybe our formation, and it's stopping, if we're lucky, at the eighth grade, that a lot of adult Catholics, that's one of the problems. We don't go deeper. Well, that's true. Uh, We've lost a generation or two, but uh, that's being corrected. The the catechesis is is much stronger now than it was a generation ago. Mm -hmm. And our whole society... Uh, is so enamored of science, which is so successful at exploring that surface, that uh, that they ignore the depths, or they think the depths can't be known because they're not susceptible to the scientific method, which means that all the most important things in life, love, uh, human persons, uh, the meaning of life, uh, can't be understood because those are not susceptible to the scientific method. Mm. I, I think in that next rung, on when it describes meaning, you go in to talk about how we use the example. This is what's so beautiful. You use all these great examples in this particular style that we can see a telephone pole, but we don't understand the telephone pole until we it, we act on it or we experience it. Then, then it gives it its meaning. Yeah, seeing is only the beginning of understanding. Animals sometimes have better sight than we do, but they don't have a kind of X-ray vision, a depth perception. And a sense of perspective. Uh, another uh, version of the telephone pole is when you're riding on the train and all of these telephone poles pass you, 
if you go by your site, you're going to pay the most attention to the one that's the closest because that looks the largest, but it's not. Sometimes the ones that are farther away are even larger. So for something to truly have meaning, then, it, it's something that it, it has to be experienced. And in this particular case, I mean, it, we, we hear all the time that it's about relationship. It's about engagement. Uh, when people use the word experience, they sometimes mean emotion. Mm-hmm. And when people use the word relationships, they're usually thinking of sexual relationships. Those, mm-hmm. that's, those are not the only kinds. Uh, like the ocean, there are many levels of depth beneath the surfaces. In your experience in, in school, just as a side note, are you, are you finding that the students that you're encountering, or or even as you go out and talk, that that those nuances, that desire for that depth, is it prevalent? Of course it is. It's prevalent in all ages because the human heart was not designed at Harvard or in Hollywood, but in heaven. Mm. You just have to know how to access it. Uh, a human a human being is, a, is like an instrument. It's like an organ, but you have to know where the keys are to, to get music out of it. Well, in our discussion, you, you've mentioned the heart, and you've talked about feeling, and that would lead us you know, to that fourth step and this ladder that leads us to truth. And it, the heart is so important for us to grasp and understand. It's more than just a feeling. It's more than just a feeling, yes. Uh, it spills over into feeling, but, uh, well, just to review the first four steps, the, the first one is the passionate search for truth, and the second is the hope that you can find some truth about the meaning of life, and the third is the realization that, as everyone knows, the meaning of life is love, but what kind of love? Uh, deep love, personal love, the will to the good of the other. And, and we all know that deep down. This, this book doesn't really teach you new things that you don't know, at least at the beginning of it. It's appealing to what we all deep down know but often suppress. And that's one of the things, that the meaning of life is love and that love has depths uh, that, are, that are just much greater than any one particular kind of love, especially the feelings. Well, Doctor, we, we live in a time of such short sound bites and quick instant tweets with 144 characters where we're supposed to express everything in, in just a, that quickly. Can we proceed in a logical manner these days in honing into that type of deeper appreciation? Well, yes, because, as I said, the human heart, unlike the media, is not something that's fashionable and artificial and and produced in the last couple of years. Uh, It's designed by God. So there's that thirst for for order and structure and, and basic logic, as well as for meaning, and we can appeal to that. In this particular understanding, Libby is guided to understand that the meaning of life is love. And almost everybody would agree that that's true. But what that love looks like and how we, we live it out. Ah, uh, that's, that's the difference. Does it have a structure? Does it have principles? Is it, is it an objective reality that we can be wrong about? Or is it whatever you feel good about? You would put forth that there are laws of love. That, mm-hmm. that we need that. And that's a pretty strong word. I mean, we, I don't know if we like the word law when it comes to matters of love. Well, God did. He, he, he didn't give ten suggestions. He gave ten commandments, and they're all commandments about love. Love does not steal. Love does not kill. Love does not adulterate itself, etc. It truly is a, an unselfish 
way of looking. And, and yet we're so trained, in particular in this culture, to think about ourselves. What will make you happy? What do you need? How will you act? I think this is the deepest reason why our, our culture is, is, is getting more secular and less religious. Because every religion in the world attacks selfishness. Deep down we all know that uh, selfishness just doesn't work. And yet our pop psychology prophets say you must learn to love yourself and accept yourself and you're the center of the universe and you're the most important person in the whole wide world, which is simply silly. Well, it can kill a civilization, can it? It can, and, and, and it infallibly will. I mean, there's only, there's only three possible futures for our civilization. We either continue to go down the road that we've been traveling uh, and are destroyed, or we turn around and repent and recover our health and our honor, uh, or we violate one of the basic laws of history that no civilization can survive without truth and without honesty and without unselfishness. Would you say that ultimately the one of the biggest blocks is the loss of control or the desire not to lose control? And yet that's exactly what happens in some ways. Well, that's a paradox because we have so much more control now through our technology that it would seem that there shouldn't be that terror of a loss of control. And yet we all feel out of control. We feel impotent. Compared with our ancestors who had less control over nature, we have much less control over ourselves. And the other. It's we <laughs> can't control others. Yeah. And that, I think, that, what was the line that you, you probably would have to kill everybody if you yeah. really want to have control? Yeah, and if you don't believe that there's a God that you can trust who's in control, then you have to play God and try to control everything. And you can't control others, and that panics you. We'll return to Inside the Pages in just a moment. Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, which is a 501c3 fully tax-deductible nonprofit organization dedicated to evangelization and spiritual formation through the use of new media. Discerning Hearts creates engaging multimedia specializing in podcasts and radio broadcasts faithful to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church and its rich, authentic spiritual tradition. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to support our efforts. We charge nothing for any of the programs that are available on Discerning Hearts, and our outreach is literally to the world. Please tell a friend about Discerning Hearts, and either download our free apps, which are available at iTunes and Google Play stores, or visit discerninghearts.com. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. We now return to Inside the Pages. To that sixth step about God and that 
there's um, a difference between proving his existence and believing in his existence. Yeah, believing is trust. Uh, in the Bible, almost never is the issue of whether God exists raised. I think there's only one verse that says, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. But it's the character of God. Is he trustable? Does he love you? Does he care? That's, that's the thing you need to know. Wow, the character of God. It leads us back to love, doesn't it? Yeah. Libby has a problem with that because her concept of God, as it is true with most of us, is sort of the big guy upstairs, mm-hmm. the, uh, the power source. And then love is secondary. But love is primary, not power. Seeing that in action is kind of what, what would lead us to that next step where I, I guess I was surprised by the next step, that it would lead us to that revelation. It would lead us to the people of yep. God, the Jews. Yep. Well, God, in creating us, of course, put traces of his reality into ourselves and into nature, but that's not enough. So he intervened in history and created a people to be his collective prophet to the world and revealed himself much more clearly and adequately to that people than to anybody else. The Jews are history's great miracle, the exception to almost every historical law. Well, I think this is an incredibly pivotal chapter. I mean, they're all just unbelievable steps, and I, and I think it's so edifying for anyone who enters in that. But this particular one, because I think that idea that it's not a road up a mountain, but it's public revelation that comes from top down. That's the difference between the Bible and all other religious books. The others, profound as they are, are only human speculation about God. This one is God's revelation to us. So there can't be an equality in all world religions. The religion of the Bible is either the best or the worst. If it's not what it claims to be, a a revelation from God himself, then it's the worst because it's the most arrogant. And if it is what it claims to be, then it's the best because it's God's idea about us rather than our idea about God. In embracing that, we can begin to hone in on that that basic truth, why the truth, that what we believe. But what about Islam? Well, Islam is also divine revelation borrowed from the Jews. Mm-hmm. Uh, Muhammad knew a lot of Jews and Christians, and certainly he didn't figure out all the profound theology of the Quran by himself. Mm-hmm. Every attribute of God in the Quran is also in the Bible. Then what happened? How did we become so separated in understanding? Oh, that's a big question. And that would take a lifetime to go into all the steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we should instead direct our, our attention to the positive, how we can climb up the ladder, not why we keep falling off of it. <laughs> and in climbing up that ladder, we ultimately keep our our eyes on that eighth step, and that's Jesus. Yeah. Among these Jews, uh, a man appears who claims to be Uh, the creator and designer of the whole system. And if he is, then that's the ultimate meaning of everything. And if he isn't, then he's an idiot, and we shouldn't patronize him and and call him nice things because he's uh, either a a blasphemer or a liar or he's insane. We don't seem to have a problem embracing the fact that he's Mary's boy. Even many would say a great man was born, and yet it is has to go much deeper when you look at what he actually claimed. Well, simply a great man is the only thing he couldn't possibly be. Mm. He's either a very bad man or something more than a man. If, if, if I claim to be uh, the greatest saint in the universe, you'd say, well, he either needs 
deep psychiatric treatment because he's an arrogant idiot, mm-hmm. uh, or if he is, well, then he's God's last word to mankind. But nothing in between. How is it then that in even the acceptance, we, we see so many that will take that and begin to enter into that understanding in that relationship with him. And yet that next step where it leads us to what it is to be Catholic, what Catholic is, the meaning of that term, they they bulk at. Well, one way of answering that question is to look at the previous steps. Each step in the ladder is more concrete than the one before it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Church makes Jesus concrete. You can touch him now through the Church. And uh, Jesus is the, the concrete uh, coming together of everything in Judaism. And the Jews are God becoming concrete in human history. And God is the meaning of life concretized in, in one being. So the Church is embarrassingly real and present and visible. Well, Dr. Crave, there's a, there are many who will follow along with that and want to enter in and receive him and maybe take that and that encounter, that that relationship. And yet when it comes to authority, they they rail because it it demands a certain amount of obedience to authority. Right. If the church is what it claims to be, Christ's body, then then it has his authority. And he gave to his apostles the authority to teach in his name. He said, he who hears you hears me. Uh, And we think of authority, there's another typically modern misunderstanding, we think of authority as power. I'm the boss. Mm -hmm. But the essence of authority is right. It's not that might makes right, it's that right makes its own might. Mm. So this is the authority of the God of love who speaks through the Church. It is an incredible journey that we take with Libby as she's she's guided through this, and it affirms those, as I think you said, that the, the knowledge we know in our hearts, those aha moments. I knew that, but I didn't know I knew that. Yep. And I think we need to have more of those kind of encounters. Also, it's such a, a needed time. I mean, it was just recently that Blessed John Paul II was very instrumental in helping us in desiring for us to be able to engage like this. Yeah, he's certainly God's gift to to our civilization, and he'll certainly be known as John Paul the Great. And one of his greatest achievements, I think, is his answer to the sexual revolution, which has so undermined marriage and the family and the very basis of our civilization. And that's his theology of the body. Mm-hmm. That's the, the big picture, the, uh, the positive background of what most people think of as something very negative in the Church, namely Humanae Vitae, which is itself positive. It's a defense of human life. And only in that respect uh, does it have to be negative. It has to be negative towards any kind of attack on human life, which is something holy. It demands that the dignity of each human person, that it goes back to that that whole uh, integrity. It is what it appears to be, and we are created to love and to respect the other. That has broken apart, hasn't it? Yes, it has. But once again, I think deep down in our heart, we know that there's something about us that's holy, that's eternal, that's, that's, that's absolute. And we know that our culture doesn't give us that. So the fields are, are ripe to harvest. Mm. I think we should be optimistic about the missionary enterprise. What 
are your feelings or or how should I put this? How What's stirring deep in your heart about our Holy Father, Pope Francis? Oh, well, holy is, is, is exactly the word. After two great minds that showed us the light, he now shows us the, the concrete instantiation of the light. Here, he, he's an instance of exactly what uh, John Paul II and, and Benedict XVI are talking about, uh, a kind of St. Francis himself. St. Francis, even when he, during his time, had so many challenges, everything that what was happening around Europe, and today Pope Francis has the same thing. And both of them have that same joy, that, that, that perfect joy that doesn't depend on circumstances and doesn't depend on apparent success, like Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. who lived a, a lifelong dark night of the soul and yet was always unfailingly cheerful because she believed what she said. God did not put us into this world to be successful, but to be faithful. How about us in America, Dr. Craft? How about us, especially those Catholics now who are just taken aback by the, the just the tsunami of events, I think, culturally, that has just seems to be sweeping up so many? Well, we've got a great opportunity if you get kicked in the back enough, you'll eventually uh, hurt and get up and to fight. What's the tone of that fight? Love. Love. Speaking the truth in love. Mm. Uh, it's very clear. It can't be just a fight. It can't be just a reaction. It can't be just, we're right, you're wrong, we're going to win, you're going to lose. It's got to be, we're your nurses and we're trying to get you back into health. What I love about Jacob's Ladder, The Ten Steps to Truth, is that you ground it in that depth of meaning. And for many of us, we we may know so much, but we haven't had that depth of meaning to be able to express it with that, that truth and love. Well, I hope that's true. Uh, we shall see what the results of the book are. But uh, sometimes all you have to do is tell the truth as you see it, like, the little boy in the fairy tale, The Emperor's New Clothes, and just saying the emperor is naked will enable other people to see it and say it, too. Mm, that's the key is to say it, isn't it? Yep. Any final thoughts, Dr. Crave? We don't have final thoughts. We're on the way. All our thoughts are radically inadequate compared with that great ocean that is God himself. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. God bless you. With Dr. Peter Crave, we've gone inside the pages of Jacob's Ladder, 10 Steps to Truth. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to Ignatius.com, the website for its publisher, Ignatius Press. Or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this discussion along with many others, go to DiscerningHearts.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Inside the Pages, Insights from today's most compelling authors.